At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. All right, this morning, if you would, take out your Bible and turn with me to the book of Lamentations. It's one of those hidden Old Testament gems of a book that we don't normally spend a whole lot of time in. Um, But over the next six weeks, we're going to be walking through the book of Lamentations. So go ahead and, and take your Bible out or your electronic device and turn with me there. You know, this morning I was thinking about and being reminded of um, my days in school as my kids are getting ready to end their school year and just thinking back through my fond memories of my educational years and and all of that. And I was reminded of, of like science classes. And I remember science classes, there were times in which in science class you'd have the lecture right, where the teacher would just teach and, and you'd write things down and you'd learn. But then there was the labs, right, the labs where you were able to take the things that you learned and then you were able to do different experiments and try what you learned to see if, if you actually learned what you learned. And so there was the, the learning that took place in lecture and there was the learning that took place in labs. And I loved the labs in high school. I loved, you know, not having to listen to the teacher all the time, but being able to experiment and, and try on my own and touch it, whatever we were working on, and, and, and wrestle with it. And, you know, as I was thinking about that, it seems like the Christian walk is a lot like that, too. Right? Like we go through seasons where we're just soaking in the truth of God. Where we're, we're learning all about his character and we're learning about his love and we're, we're learning about all the greatness of, of who he is and what he's done. But then God gives us seasons where we walk through the lab, where we have to take the things that we've learned and really see if we really are applying them. And you know, as I was, I was thinking that life since last March seems like we've been living in the lab. Right, do you guys, you guys agree with me? Like it's, it, it, it's like God has given us a year and a half, almost a year and a half, just to say prior to that, he's like, hey, I, I've been building into you, I've been teaching you all these things, and the last week, last year was like, okay, here you go. Let's see how you do. Let's see if you've learned as we all have had to walk through the crucible of life last year, a life filled with disappointments, a, a life filled with change and challenge. And it seems as though even though it's been more than 12 months, we're not at the end of it yet. And so we're still in the midst of this place where God is saying, do you trust me? Do you really believe the things that I've told you? Do you really believe that I'm a God that is sovereign over all things? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that even though you go through times and seasons that don't feel good, do you still believe that God is good? Let me ask you this question. If, we, if last year was the final exam of your Christian walk, how'd you do? Right? Do you, are you coming out of this season thriving? Are you coming out of this season closer to the Lord, more ready and more filled with his presence and his power to take on the gates of hell? Or if during this year have you shrunk back? 
Have you become isolated? Have you become insulated? Have you begun to doubt the power and the presence and the majesty of God working in your life? It's been a difficult year. And over the 12 past months, or 12 months or so, we've experienced a lot of different things. But I think one of the deepest pains that we've all felt this last year is the pain of grief. Maybe you've grieved more this year than you ever have in the past. Maybe you've grieved over the sickness of a loved one. Or maybe you've grieved over the loss of a job or the loss of relationships or the loss of life or violence. Maybe your heart has just been fully heavy. And you know, grief is one of those things that's really hard for our culture to deal with. Our, our culture, our world has no category for grief. There's no way in which our world prepares us to deal with grief in the sense of loss. You know, I grew up watching sitcoms, right, where all the world's problems were solved in 30 minutes, right? And if the problem was really bad, like really, really bad, they'd have a part two and the problem would be solved in an hour, right? That's how we live, Right? We want our problems. We want our pains. We don't want to deal with that stuff because that's messy. We don't want to deal with, with sickness. and We don't want to deal with health problems that are lingering. We, we want to bring our health to the doctor. We want him to give us a magic pill and allow it to go away. We don't want to deal with depression. We don't want to deal with anxiety. We just want it all to be done with. Our culture has, has no category for this. We're so uncomfortable with grief and pain, and we want it resolved so quickly. And you know, our world does give us two answers. I, I, I retract my statement before. The world does give us two answers to deal with grief. One, we can live in denial. We can just deny that there's any pain. We can just deny, and then what happens is we have a problem when we distance ourselves from the problem. So we just deny that it's, that it's even there. Like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to know anything about that. Or the other option is not only denial, but sometimes the other option is despair. I, I, I like to think of these as like the gutters of life, right? Like if we're sailing through life on, on a path or on the, the, the bowling alley, and then on the end there are these, these two gutters, and, and as we're going through life and we, we face, dis, face difficulties and we face grief, we can either go into the gutter of, of denial or we can go into the gutter of despair. Where there is no hope, where there is no life, and everything is worthless. You see, the world doesn't give us tools to deal with grief, but God has given his children, a category. God has given his children a language for grief. God has given us a language for sorrow. And that gift that God has given us is called lament. This is what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. We're going to be walking through the book of Lamentations. And a simple definition of lament is this. It is a passionate prayer of pain that leads to trust. It's a passionate prayer of pain that leads to trust. 
Lamenting is a natural response for a believer. When, when life experiences don't match up to God's character, it leads us in a place of dissonance. Right? When, when God's character and our experience don't measure up, it gives us this sense of something is not right. And lament gives us the opportunity to work that out. Where we understand that God is good, where, we, where we're reminded that God tells us that he's a good God, that he loves us, that he's for us, that he is on our side. And then when we go through the valleys of life, when, God, when life doesn't feel good, and we question God's goodness. God, how can you be good in the midst of this pain? Lament gives us the opportunity to walk through this. The gift of lamenting is powerful for the believer. The gift of lamenting is powerful believer. I don't know if you know this, but if you go through all of the, 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 the collection of the Psalms, what you see is that one in every three Psalms is a psalm of lament. Lamenting is important. It's something that we need to exercise because in lamenting, we grow. If we want to grow spiritually and we want to walk in our walk with the Lord and walk in that way that honors him, we need to grieve. And here's the reality. We live in such a broken and fallen world that we all grieve. Maybe some of you right now are walking through the deepest pain of your life that you've ever felt before. And this is so real to you. But the reality is, if you're not walking through a season of grief right now, you've either just come out of a season of grief or you're getting ready to go into another season of grief. So I want us over the course of this time to understand how God wants us to grieve well. There is a way for us to mourn that will help us grow in hope and help us be refreshed again. So this morning we're jumping in to a series entitled Good Morning. How do we lament well? And we're going to walk through this often overlooked Old Testament book of Lamentations. This book takes us back to the year 587 B.C., when the Babylonian army has descended upon Jerusalem and has destroyed and carried off and all, of the, um, all of the people of Judah. The city has been utterly destroyed and all the people are, are being deported into exile. And this whole series of event was, events was so horrific that it left a permanent mark on Judah's mind. This was one of those moments in Israel's history that people were broken, that everything that they'd hoped for, everything that they dreamed about, everything that they lived for was utterly taken away from them. And so this is, most scholars believe that this uh, book was written as a poem by the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is now sitting and he's, he's overlooking the city and seeing the destruction and seeing the people being torn away from their homeland. And he is going before the Lord lamenting. He's bringing his pain to the God of the universe. And through these five chapters, we discover the powerful, important spiritual discipline that frankly makes us uncomfortable. 
frankly makes us, where many of us are unfamiliar with this, and it's the practice of lament. It's helpful to see in this passage and, and in this series that the Bible is here to help us. It gives us a way to express and deal with the difficult things in life. We, we all go through these. We all have to deal with death. We have to see abuse. We have to understand poverty. We, we, we witness wars and we see crimes. We see genocide. We see racism. We see famine. We see plague. And we see all kinds of other destructive realities of our life. And God has given us this gift of lamenting as a way to process our grief and a way to grow closer to him. So this morning as we look at this passage, I want us to begin by understanding that in lamenting, lamentations follows four steps. There are four steps of lamenting, and I'm going to give these to you quickly. Number one, first, in lamenting, we turn to God in prayer. When we feel the pain, when we sense the grief, when we go through the time of sorrow, our first response is to turn our eyes to God in prayer. That's the best way you can go. Before you run to your mom, before you run to your friend, before you run to the alcohol, before you run to other substances, the best way that you can deal with grief is to bring your grief to God. Turn immediately to him when you feel those pains. And you come to him in prayer. The second thing that you do in lamenting is bring your complaint. Like God's got big shoulders. He can take your complaints and instead of sharing your complaints with the rest of the world, share your complaints with God. He can take it. And then third, ask boldly. Come before the God of the universe that you have an opportunity to, to talk to and counsel with. Bring your bold questions to him. Ask boldly. And then fourth, choose to trust. Choose to trust. Trust that he is who he says he is. Choose to trust that he will do what he says he will do. So today we're going to see the, the, really the first kind of two steps in this lamenting process as it plays out in chapter one. And today what I want us to see, the truth of the passage today, is that lament allows us to honestly ask God the hard questions. Lament allows us to ask God the tough questions. We can honestly come to him with our big questions and know that he will answer them. And today we're going to look at three questions. So first, let's look in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Jeremiah writes, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations, she was a princess among the providences, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. What I want us to see is the first question that Jeremiah gives us, a question that we can come to God is, with, is how could this happen? It, we see beginning there in, in chapter one, this is uh, verse one, we see Jeremiah actually starts off with this word how. 
Actually, some scholars have, have come to, to believe and understand that this first word, how, is actually the title of the whole book. Like it's, it's Jeremiah looking at his circumstances and looking at the situation of life and coming to God and just saying, God, how could this happen? Jeremiah is completely overwhelmed at the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. This once city that was full of life, it was busy. People coming and going is now empty and desolate. And through these, this, this verse, in this section, Jeremiah speaks of the city as though it was a woman. So he gives us this, this illustration. He takes a real life example of, of a human, someone that we can connect with, and says that the city was like this. And so this woman has become a widow. This woman who this once was a princess is now a slave. And her sorrows are pouring upon her every night. She weeps bitterly every night and there's no one there to comfort her. Even her friends have left her and betrayed her. And furthermore, we see that the people of Judah have been carried off into exile. This is a reverse of the exodus. Remember back in Exodus when God frees his people from slavery, when he takes them out of slavery and calls them unto himself and says, you will be my children and I will be your God. Now it's a reversal of that Exodus. They're leaving the land that is promised to them, the land that God gave them, and now they're being carted off as slaves to live in a foreign place. Instead of strength and security, they now have been overtaken in distress. And now they're actually carrying out and experiencing what God had warned his people if they had disobeyed his law. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 64, God says this, and the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there, sh there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite. There shall be no resting place for the sole of your feet. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and falling eyes and a languished soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you night and day. You shall tread and have no assurance for your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. And in evening you shall say, if only it were morning. Because your dread that your heart shall feel and in the sight of your eyes shall see. You see, God had told his people that they were not to turn from the covenant that he made from them. And if they would, this is what they would experience. And now they're experiencing all of this. And Jeremiah's response is, how could this happen? How could this death and destruction that we see before us actually happen? And these are good questions. These are questions that we have in our lives. I don't know how many times I've asked the Lord, how could this happen? When I'm sitting there in a hospital room next to a, a young husband and wife and they've just lost their baby. How could this happen? Or you're sitting there on the curb next to a family and they've just had to watch their house burn. How could this happen? where you're sitting, I'm sitting across from the person that has just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. How could this happen? These are questions that plague our minds. And the best place to come with these questions is come directly to God. 
Lamenting is asking God, how can this happen? We see it on a global scale. We see it on a personal scale. I know over the past year, we've been asking big questions like, God, how could all of this racial violence, what is going on? How can you allow this to happen? How could you allow there to be such political divide in our country? How can a simple mask or not wearing a mask or having a mask, how can that divide us so greatly? How is it that we've lost relationships? How is it we've lost family members? How is all of this happening? How? You see, when we lament, God gives us this to address him and ask him these hard questions. And the Christian faith, here's the thing. The Christian faith is, is not about living in this place where uh, you have this absolute eternal optimism. Right? Like, as Christians, we, 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 the world sometimes thinks and sometimes we believe that we're always supposed to have a smiling face as we go through life. Like, how are things going? Oh, everything's great. Everything's fine. Everything's perfect. Right? Because I know Jesus reigns. I know Jesus is on the throne. I know he's there. And maybe we, we say these things, but we don't believe them or we don't feel them. And, and lament gives us an opportunity not to put up a fake face because the world doesn't need to see another hypocrite. What the world needs to see is that we can suffer well, that we do have a God that can bear the weight of our tough questions, that we don't have to suffer in silence, but that we can come to him and we can say things like, God, how can you allow this to happen? You're a good God and this doesn't feel good. How can you allow this to happen? And here's the reality, is that answer may not come in an instant. But I'll tell you what, the more and more we rehearse lamenting to God and giving him space to answer, the more his peace comes into our heart and the more his understanding comes into our mind. We don't have to live stoic lives, we live real lives that can be full of tears. Oh yes, the horror of war, murder, racism, death, famine, economic instability, divorces, miscarriages, abuse, and a whole host of all kinds of other horrors that we experience in this life. These things happen, and we can ask the question, how could this happen? The second question that we get a chance to come before God with that God gives us this gift, is what did I do to deserve this? Look at what Jeremiah writes. He says, the roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festivals. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her afflictions and wandering and all the precious things that were hers from days of old when her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her. Her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despised her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face. Her uncleanliness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future, therefore her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. 
the second hard question that we see that Jeremiah gives us in how to lament is what did I do to deserve this? Again, Jeremiah is expressing the desolation, the destruction of the city. Everything he sees is desolate. The enemies have been absolutely victorious and all the glory that was theirs is completely lost. And again, in verses seven through nine, Jeremiah takes us to a very shocking place. As Jeremiah continues to personify the city of Jerusalem as a woman, he says her memory is filled with the good things that she possessed, the the precious things that she possessed. But then a traumatic turn occurs and now she's in affliction and is completely wandering. Furthermore, she is publicly humiliated and her foes gloat over her. Her fall is described as terrible. She is left alone and in shame and she's without anyone to give her comfort or anything like that. So in a sense, what Jeremiah is doing is he's, he's giving us this picture that the city is completely stripped bare. There's horror upon horror. The Babylonians have come in and they have pillaged everything. They've, they've looted, they've raped, they've desecrated every holy thing. And the onlookers can only see this and they are forced to watch when asking the question, why? What did we do to deserve this? And in verses five and eight, we see the answer. The destruction, the shame fell upon Jerusalem because of the multitude of their transgressions. Because Jerusalem had sinned, the people of God had turned away from God and had worshiped other idols. They had sold themselves out. They had prostituted themselves to other gods. And God finally is at a point where he says, I've had enough. And so now his fist is coming through the form of the Babylonians. Jerusalem had become spiritually adulterous and idolatrous. And in verse nine, we see the uncleanliness of Jerusalem's skirts. Their their lives had become so unclean that everyone could see it. But it's through lament, we see a work of grace come into focus. It's not just the brokenness of this world, but we see that there is human depravity and we see that there is sinfulness in the world. And while we mourn that things are not the way they should be, we can also mourn that our rebellion and sin sits at the root of the brokenness of this world. Why is there so much brokenness? Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much depravity? Because sin is ever present. And sin, left unchecked, can can run rampant and destroy a multitude of lives. I'll never forget years ago, summers ago, when I had visited the former city of of Lidditz. The city is uh, 12 miles outside of Prague in the Czech Republic. And the city no longer remains. All that's there is, is a grass field. And as you're walking through the grass field, you may see a threshold or two of a, a, from a home that used to be standing there. But as I was visiting, visiting this place, I never even realized that the city had ever existed or ever was a part of history. And while I was there, I began to learn what took place and why the city was gone. During World War II, a, uh, a top Navy official, Nazi official named uh, Reinhard Hendrick was assassinated. And Hitler was so ticked off by this that he sought revenge. 
And so it was told to him that the Czech people had done this. At that point, it was Czechoslovakia. And so Hitler's rage turned to Czechoslovakia. And he was so angered by this that on the day, on June 9th, the day that, that Hedrick lived or was laid in state and had his funeral in Berlin, Hitler ordered retaliatory measures against the Czech population. It was on this evening that German police, the SS, and other soldiers showed, showed up and surrounded this small town of Lidditz. Near midnight, all of the, the German police and um, uh, the officials that were there called all the people into the center court. They said, go to your home, grab some warm clothes, enough clothes for three months, and come meet in the center of the city. And so these people have no idea what's going on. So men, women, and children are gathering their stuff as much as they can. They come to the city square. And then what these officials and soldiers began to do is they began to separate all the people. In one group, there were the men. In one group, all of the women. In one group, all, everyone that was under 15 years old. And then what these soldiers and officials began to do is in front of the women and children, they begin to execute every single one of the men. And then after that, they took all the women, separated them from the kids and sent them on to concentration camps. And then what they did, the most horrifying thing that they did is they took these 82 kids that were from this village. After having seen their dad die, seeing their mom taken away, they get taken away too in another, another train. And on the way, they get gassed. And to make matters worse, what the soldiers then did is they raised the city. As a constant reminder, they, Hitler wanted to send a message to the world that you do not mess with him. And I remember sitting here in this village, and I've got a, a, the only thing that's left in this village. Go ahead and show the first picture. This is a, a picture, when we get to it, no, no picture. Okay, it's a picture, was a picture of a bronze, the bronze statue that's in the middle of this field. And it's a bronze statue of 82 little kids. Each one of them there to depict one of the kids that had died. And I remember being in this village. I was a young guy, hadn't really seen much of the world, but I'm in this village and I'm thinking, what in the world? How could someone be so cruel? How could someone hate so much that they wanted to, to wipe a city and all of its inhabitants off the face of the earth? Like, why, why would something like this happen? These kids didn't deserve that. And yet in this world, we live in a place where there's total depravity. We are not good. You are not good. If left alone, you would do immense amount of evil. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? We see that in the world today. When the restraints go off, evil comes in and people do heinous stuff. I think we've seen that this year. But we have to ask ourselves the question, why does something like this happen? And I want to be careful here. Because not everything that's terrible in our lives is a, a result of our personal sinfulness. Okay, not everything that bad happens to you is because of, of sinfulness. You, you can't have the, the, the couple that just lost their baby. And they're wrestling with this question, how could you allow this to happen? You can't come to them and say, well, it's because uh, you, you uh, were premaritally promiscuous. 
You, you can't do that. That's, that's not how it always works. Sometimes it does. And here's the thing. If you want to know if what you're going through is a direct result of your sin, you will know. You will know. God will let you know if you've gone a wayward and you've done horrible things and God's trying to get your attention and now you're, you're going through a time of grief and sorrow because of that, you'll know. But there's a lot of other times where it's, it's super gray and we don't understand. We don't know exactly why, but we have to come back to the place of saying, I don't know why, but I know that you're still in control. Lament allows us to ask God, what did I do to deserve this? And it's not an easy answer, but we see the, the complete corrupt results of sin. So we must not stop there when it comes to lament. We must not just ask how or why, but we can come to our third question. God, do you see? Look at me in verse nine, the last part of verse nine. O Lord, behold my affliction, for my enemies have triumphed. The enemies have stretched out his hands over her precious things. For he has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am desperate. At this verse, at this point now, this, this, um, the voice of the woman or the voice of the city, which has been personified through a woman, now speaks out and she cries out to the Lord, Lord, see my affliction. See what's going on in my life. See the pain that I am enduring. And the description of the city that is here, we don't have time to go. This is probably some of the most graphic stuff in scripture, you can't make a movie about this stuff because it's so graphic. But basically, not only has the city been desecrated, this holy things in the temple have been taken off. The temple itself has been desecrated, and entry and by the entry and the sacrifice of the abomination. The language here that Jeremiah uses is metaphors for sexual abuse. the The image is almost that of a gang rape. This is the cry of the city of saying, oh, Lord, do you see? Do you see the pain? Do you know what I'm going through? Do you feel my affliction? Oh, God, would you just look at me and would you see me? You know, the truth is that our usual reaction to seeing crime, poverty, violence, and any type of horrific act, our natural response is to turn away. Right? Naturally, we don't want to see any of that stuff because that hurts us. We, we find ourselves putting ourselves in the, in the place of those that are going through pain. We can't even bear to watch some of these things. But yet, lament gives us a means to go to the God of the universe and ask him not to look away. God, please don't look away, but yet look at my shame, look at my pain, look at my guilt, look at all of this. Please, God, look at me and see, know what I'm going through. But this call to look at me, there's also a promise that when we do, God does look to us and God knows the penalty and God knows the pain and God knows the shame and God knows all of the sin of the world 
and the way that all of this pain pointed to the person of Jesus. And I want to quickly just share with you about how Jesus fits into all of this and how Jesus is the one that comes and has come so that God does not look away, but God has looked upon our desperate need and given us everything that we need. So we should gaze upon the cross and lament. For when we look at the cross, we ask the question, how could this happen? How is it that the God of the universe is saying on a cross how is it that he's up there bleeding? And the answer to that is found in Romans 6, 23. How could this happen? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How could this happen? Because you and I sinned. And you and I are enemies of God and we are facing the wrath of God. But God loved us so much. That even though the wage of our sin was death, God gives us this free gift of eternal life. Jesus comes and dies on the cross to pay for our sins. So we gaze upon the cross in wonderment. And we say, God, how could you do this for me? How could you give your life for me? The second question is, what did he do to deserve this? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 gives us the answer to this. It's for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. What did he do to deserve this? Jesus deserved nothing. He didn't deserve it. But he took on our pain and our shame and our penalty so that a great transaction could take place. So that not only could our sins be forgiven, but that we might become the righteousness of God. So we look upon the cross. What did Jesus do to deserve this? Nothing. But he took what I deserved and gave me freedom. And the last question. God, do you see? God, do you see? And the answer to that is found in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the whole world. The reason that he, we know that he sees us is because of the fact that God loves the world. God knows you and God loves you and has given you his son so that you might know God. If you're here today and you've been walking through your life, grieving on your own, asking these big questions and never having the answers, then your first step is to come to God's provision. Come to Jesus and, and confess your sins and repent of your life and then place your faith and trust in Jesus and he will help you for the rest of your life. So our hope is found in Jesus. Jesus walks with us through the difficult pains of our life now. And it's okay to come to God with these big questions that we have. Because we have the promise the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And so as we lament, let me give you this truth. Hope comes when truth is rehearsed. Hope comes when truth is rehearsed. When we walk through life 
and we say things like, God, this is awful. What I'm feeling right now is not good. This is awful, but yet you reign. The more we rehearse that, we rehearse the truths of God, we bring our pains, we bring our truth feelings to him, and yet we couple that with the truth. That brings us hope as we rehearse the truths. I don't know what this year has completely been like for you, but I have to imagine you've grieved. Maybe some of you have, have experienced the deepest pains that you've ever felt before in your life. And the greatest things that we have is the gift of prayer. The gift of prayer and the language of lament are things that God has given us. So today, this morning, I wanted to end our time in God's word together with this prayer of lament. I didn't write this prayer of lament, but as I read through it, I think it's so appropriate. So will you join me in praying this prayer? Father, we thank you that the words in scripture are true. You say that you are near to the brokenhearted and you save those that are crushed in spirit. And so Lord Jesus will never enter death's dark shadow and valley alone or experience a Christ-absent crisis. We'll never experience betrayal or trauma without you there with us. Life between your resurrection and return includes a clear sign of your present and coming kingdom, but it also continues to include painful incidents which remind us just how broken the world remains. Father, we know that you don't promise us unbreakable hearts or uncrushable spirits before the day of the all things new. But you do promise us your unwavering, if sometimes imperceivable, nearness and grace. The fact that most often questions in the Bible, that we see in the Bible over and over again, is how long, O oh Lord? These words and these truths actually console us. So Father, today we join centuries of your daughters and your sons, honest about our today's trauma and equally th thrilled about our forever's glories. Jesus, thank you for loving us with empathy, for loving us with compassion, for loving us with kindness. Outside the tomb of your friend Lazarus, you wept with unfiltered, faith-filled, embarrassment-free tears. So you never roll your eyes at us when we struggle, ache, and lament. Thank you. Help us to love fellow lamenters with an unrushed presence and, a, and the compassion of Jesus. We especially think of children, our children and children everywhere. Whatever their trauma they're, they're going through, maybe going to bed hungry, living in the presence of contempt, hearing sirens of tornadoes or worms or bombs, whether they're burying a beloved pet or fearing the next pandemic. Father, we pray that you extend your presence and grace through us. In your tender and trustworthy name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.